For the sake of clarity, I was playing the the Switch port, specifically the Switch version of this game. Not the Wii U, not the original 3DS. Um, before we go any further, I've actually done a rumination on another Shantae game before. That would be Half Genie Hero, which was a lot of fun and very good. I think this game's a little bit better overall, but I've never actually reviewed Half Genie Hero, so I'm not sure if I can actually say that with total definitiveness. What I can say, and what I want to say right up front, is that and I said this on stream. I don't really find the game, uh, God, sexy. I, I don't know what else to call it, right? At no point was it just like, oh man, look at those girls. You know, it, it, it didn't really equate for me. And it took me a while to figure out why. And you might be thinking, well, because you're just, you know, you're, you're a robot, Lauren. I'm like, well, no, the fact that I'm an android, android, thank you very much, not a robot, does not actually have anything to do with that. It's, I think the fact that the game is so charming and... Actually, no, I've got a better word. It's so cute. I can't find that sexy. It's adorable. There's just so many adorable little things. And it's just, oh... And then they, like when she's doing the jump with the, the, the cannon and she, you know, she's like, oh, and she, she's falling. It's just cute. Half Genie Hero was this in space. Half Genie Hero was just so adorable. I was squeeing through half of that playthrough. Anybody who caught that stream could tell you about that. So I, I can't, I can't go into that. But, 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 the reason I find this relevant is because if you're gonna do this kind of sexy fan service in your game, do it, embrace it, own it, and just put it out there. Don't hide it. Don't make excuses. Don't say they need to breathe through their skin. Just do it and accept it. And in, in general, I'm always going to find that kind of thing more tolerable than the other method. And you know the other method because you've seen it many times, I'm sure, in fiction, in, in books, in comic books is a big one. Do that. Uh, video games do that. Television shows do that. Cartoons do that. Movies do that. They do that thing where, oh, it's sexy, but but no, we're not trying to be sexy. It's just coincidence. Oh, it just happened that way. Oh, her midriff just happened to be exposed by that exact swipe of that claw. It's things like that, right? No. No respect. This game has far more of my respect than that. And I don't know if I can speak for everyone on that one, but I can speak for myself. I asked the three uh, women who were uh, present on the stream what they thought of it, and their response was just, eh. <laughs> Oh, and one, one of them said, I wish I was that skinny. I wish I was that skinny. Holy crap. Like, I could build muscle back up, but, you know, getting... They're like this far around. So, let's talk about the gameplay. The sprite work was absolutely phenomenal. I feel like they either touched it up or just properly utilized it. On the foreground, because the foreground was gorgeous. Absolutely amazing sprite work and incredible multi-frame animation. Tons and tons of animations for all different types of attacks, for all the enemies and all the NPCs and yourself. The part where they're building the town into the ammo town and just all this. Oh my god, I cannot gush enough about the sprite work in this game. On the foreground. Because in the background, they took, it, it, near as I can tell, they took the images from the 3DS version. Which I remind you is a screen that's supposed to look like this. And just upscaled it, just just drag and upscaled and let it do it, and um, it doesn't look good. It was actually sufficiently bad that at a certain point in the game, I just kind of stopped paying attention to the background entirely. Granted, I was paying a platformer, so you know I kind of had to pay attention to the foreground, but you get the idea. 
Still, the foreground was phenomenal. Huge props there. Um, I also want to give huge props to the music, because Mr. Kaufman is amazing. <laughs> he's, he is legitimately one of my favorite modern video game composers. He's Obviously, he's been doing stuff like, since like the aughts, I think, at this point, like 2000 or 2001. But I didn't. he didn't really come on my radar until about 2014-ish, somewhere around there. And for the last six years, he has put out some amazing music, which I absolutely adore. Uh, DuckTales Remastered was him. He obviously does the Shantae series. Uh, he did some remixes for uh, uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer. Just some really good stuff. You should look him up if you don't know. He's got some bopping tunes, I think is what kids are calling it these days. So, wonderful, wonderful music, which is varied and awesome. And I need to buy the soundtrack to this game. The games, the, the games seemed kind of generic, at generic -y at first. Now, I don't know how to describe this. I'm sure a lot of you who grew up in the SNES era know what, I talk, what I'm talking about, because there were a lot of platformers that were just kind of generic-y, right? Like, there was nothing that really distinguished them. There was an excellent kit. There wasn't a lot of movement options. There wasn't interesting enemies. The level design wasn't fantastic or wasn't, wasn't creative or anything. It was just a platformer. It was fine. You know, in my own system, it would be no positives, no negatives. It's just, it's just there. And at first, this game kind of felt like that. But the more I got into it, the better it felt. I was kind of hoping for a full Metroidvania kind of a thing, which I'm told all the other uh, Shantae games other than this one and Half Genie Hero, the two I've played, are Metroidvanias. But regardless, I got to a certain point where the movement options started to unlock. And this is what I want to talk about, because this is actually kind of fresh in my mind since I played through Soten recently, Castlevania Soten. I like it when there's something that changes how I act rather than changes my stats. Put simply, you know, a sword that hits for more is nice, sure, whatever. But a sword that hits differently, now that's interesting. It's the same thing with movement options. I gained the ability to do this triple jump, or I gained the ability to do this weird back dash thing, or I gained the ability to run in place and actually use this, this cape in order to kind of float in a certain direction and so forth and so on. Changing how I move is far more interesting to me than anything else. That, in my mind, is what really highlights the really good platformers above the rest. That kind of alteration to how I play the game. This is one of the things Mario Odyssey, to use a recent example, just absolutely nailed in spades. Because there were tons of ways of how you would maneuver through the levels because of the hat system and because they would absolutely incredible level design. So <clears throat> I really enjoyed that. I also, the purchasable upgrades thing kind of made me tilt my head a little bit at first, but I was kind of with it because it was almost entirely optional. I could have avoided every upgrade uh, in the game and not really been suffering that much for it. My DPS would have gone down, certainly, but you go from doing five damage a hit to eight and your attack speed probably triples at most. And that probably says, oh, that's it. But what I'm trying to say is that if you get some power milk, well, that change just kind of, it's, it's not really as significant anymore, is it? It's a boost, but it's not mandatory is what I'm trying to say. It's, it's a little bit of a boost, not a absolutely necessary boost, unlike the movement options. That's good because that means you have the option to dump your money on items, and the items are extremely useful in this game. I mentioned the the milk, which just increases your damage and also gives you a little bit of a heal. There's also heal items. There's a warp back item, basically a hearthstone or a waypoint or a town portal, whatever you want to think of that. There's a item that allows you... There's several items that allow you to heal. There's a thing that makes you immune to projectiles for a bit. There's a thing that just does damage to stuff around you for a bit, which was actually invaluable in the final boss, by the way. Holy crap. Um, 
thankfully, it actually worked out exactly how I wanted it to. Because as soon as I realized what was going on, I was like, oh, yeah. <clears throat> Lots of options. You can get upgrades, you can get items, you can get neither. I always love options, especially when it comes to this kind of gameplay. The... There's several individual set pieces that I really like. Now, I don't want to talk bad about Soten, because Soten is a freaking amazing game. But one of the things that I tend to push, for me, pushes Super Metroid a little bit above Soten, just a little, is that Super Metroid has really excellent set pieces. Um, specific events, basically, that you go through. Fighting the Crocomire, or escaping the Ceres Station, or the entire approach to Kraid, which is effectively a linear scripted encounter, but it's very well designed, or maybe making your way through the wrecked ship for the first time. You know, all of, you, you, see, you know what I'm talking about if you've played the game, but if you don't, you're looking at me like, this game managed good set pieces. There were several that, that, that were actually very much enjoyable. The approach to Purgatory comes to mind immediately, and the whole sequence with, you know, the human Roddy Tops was awesome, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I also loved the stealth section. Now, mandatory stealth sections in games have a bad name, and for a good reason. They usually suck. But here, the whole thing was... Sir, first of all, it was in service of the game's humor, and this game did make me laugh quite a bit. But... The you, you're ca you're captured and you're put in a <clears throat> space princess outfit, quoting the game, not myself, which looks ridiculous, just like it does in Star Wars, and you have to sneak out, and you have to act, and you know the game gives you cover and ways to hide and all that sort of stuff, but that whole sequence then involves you not only just the stealth sequence, but the stealth dips in and out of stealth. It's always obvious when you're in an attack sequence and a stealth sequence, and that variety helped tremendously. It also meant that that dungeon functioned completely different than most dungeons. Rather than trying to defeat a bunch of enemies and work through and find a boss and kill it, you were trying to sneak through and get a bunch of keys in what is effectively a maze, while not getting caught, to rescue your friends. That was awesome. That was very fun. It was a very memorable sequence. There are a few other sequences. I don't want to talk about all of them here, even though we do kind of spoil it on this, so I guess there's no reason not to. But the point is, good set piecing on top of everything else. Now, pardon me, I need to pull up one thing over here on the side. Another thing I want to talk about is the kit. Uh, no, I already talked about the kit. I want to talk about the flow. And then I want to talk about pirate mode. So, flow. <sighs> flow is something hard to really define, but it's something you know exactly what it is when it comes to game design. It's when you're playing, and everything just kind of smoothly segues into itself. There's no, oh, uh, hmm, or, oh, I don't really know how to accomplish this. You know, it's, it's pretty much the opposite of what most people nowadays refer to as jank. Uh, you know, stuttery or, or, or just kind of awkward controls, or maybe there's a section that doesn't really work, or the pacing just goes to hell. Flow is the gaming, is the gameplay version of pacing whereas pacing is to story. There can be gameplay pacing as well, but you get the general idea. The flow of this game, now that I'm done boring you, is amazing. Okay, go over here and get up here and get this. Okay, I've got this thing and this thing. Now I've got a... And you just kind of have a mental checklist. Okay, I've there's a heart squid way up there, and I can't reach that. I need something to allow me to go vertical. So I'm just going to remember that, and I'm going to keep moving on and go this. And I'll, this guy wants a, a map, and this guy wants... To, okay, so he's going to shuffle, and we're going to go down here and scoop down here. And it get, leads us right back up to here where we turn in the quest. And it just it just flows smoothly into itself. And... 
there was not a single moment where I felt I was bored or irritated or frustrated, with one important exception. I did end up giving the game a negative for the final dungeon. Now, I don't mind a final dungeon being difficult. I am, as ever, a fan of Mega Man. But um, the problem is a lot of the game is difficult. Wonderfully, beautifully difficult. I love it. I enjoyed the challenges. I enjoyed the precision. I enjoyed the difficult jump arcs. What I did not enjoy was trial and error, because that's what the final dungeon was. The final dungeon is, okay, here's a room. There's three or four, I forget how many, but there's several rooms. Each one is thematically based on one of the levels you've gone through previously. Each one of them is lined with instant death spikes. Those spikes immediately kill you, which doesn't actually kill you. What it does is it reduces your health by one and sends you back to the beginning of the area, kind of like falling on a platform in a Zelda game, right? So you have to get through that section perfectly without touching any of them. And because of the nature of how they work, like one is a dash thing you have to dash through, and one of them is like you have to use the, the triple jump very, very quickly and precisely, it's just kind of guesswork. It's like, okay, well, now what do I do? Okay, now I want to go this way. And then you try it, and it's like, nope, you fell to your death. Okay, so that was not the way to go forward. And you're just kind of making it up as you go. Like I said, it's trial and error gameplay, which I don't find engaging to begin with, but it's certainly not for a final, final dungeon. That was not great. Thankfully, the game did end on a positive note because of the final boss. The final boss was awesome. The bosses in general were fun. All of them were fairly your, your typical fair. You know, they have a pattern, and then you hit them a few times, and then they have a second pattern, they hit them a few times, and they have a third pattern. Each pattern is an escalation of the previous one. Standard, but good. There's a reason that pattern fits so well. But the last boss had the same thing, but... <laughs> he hit like a truck, first of all. He actually chewed through all my health items pretty quickly. But he had a wonderful variety of patterns, and a lot of it was... It mixed and matched whether you need to be aggressive or whether you need to avoid, whether you need to pay attention to how things are going. There was like a bullet hell... That's, that's exaggerative, but... There's a thing where you have to dodge the bullets. It's three bullets. But still, you have to dodge the bullets, and then there's this thing where you have to dodge the cannonballs, and then there's a thing where you have to dodge the things, but then you also have to jump up in this and hit them as quickly as you can, and blah, 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 blah. It was a good variety, and it helped uh, keep things fun. And then, of course, it was made even funner by in, in doing what I think every final boss in every video game should do. It should be unique in some way. It needs to be. So, I've talked about this all, going all the way back to Final Fantasy IV on the SNES. There needs to be something unique about the final boss. It's the final boss. So here, the uniqueness is they give you a new mechanic. There's a cannon, and you control the crosshairs, and the crosshairs follow you. So wherever you are, that's where the cannon's aiming. The enemy, the boss, is just roaming around like crazy, but every time you hit him, you stun him for a second. This is where the spike shield comes in. So you lock him in place, aim with the cannon, hit A, you're in charge of shooting it. The additional mechanic and the additional layer to that made it way more fun than it otherwise would have been, and it was already a very fun boss fight. Awesome, awesome stuff. Now, I've gone on record before as saying that uh, no game needs a story, really. But I do think every game can be improved with the inclusion of a good story. Emphasis on the word good. And I stand by that firmly. I have played many Mega Man games where the story is, Dr. Wily has done something, go stop him. I hate to keep comparing this to Mega Man, but what do you want me? It's kind of my, my bread and butter, you know? Everyone says, you're an RPG guy. No, I'm not. <laughs> I've talked about RPGs, but that's because you guys asked me to. Remember, I don't decide what I ruminate on. So thank you for allowing me to ruminate on two platformers recently. That's been, this has been awesome. 
but I think the Mega Man games will be made much better by the inclusion of good story. So not Mega Man X7, in other words. This game is a good example of what I'm talking about. There's not much there, but it is good. The game does add a few layers to uh, the characters. It kind of builds out the world minorly. It's like another chapter and things. The events do actually follow through logically from the previous game and lead logically into the next game. I mean, the uncle even mentions he's going to work on magnets and magic, and, which is actually what he does in the next game. And Risky's building her new ship and blah, 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 blah. So there's some good continuity. There's some good characterization. It's funny. But what I found most interesting is... Risky was actually turned into a character in this game. Now I'm going to compare this to something else, which is going to sound a little bit weird. The Mario RPGs. Risky reminded me a lot of Bowser from those. Not as good, but then again, there's a lot of Mario RPGs that are very good, so what do you want from me? But the point is, Bowser in those games, and that's always my personal perspective on Bowser. I, I, that's the Bowser I, look, I think of when I think of Bowser. That character, Bowser, is such a... He's, he's a bit of a goofball, but he's also really strong and a caring leader who does know what to do and how to do it, but he's not really good at the day-to-day -day operations kind of thing. And, and I'm not going to go down the whole list, but there's, there's nuance to his character in the RPGs. But there's two points I want to bring out specifically with relation to Risky Boots. He's not actually evil, and he doesn't actually hate Mario. Oh, there's a rivalry. Of course there's a rivalry. But they don't really hate them. They don't really want to destroy or kill or, or maim or any other horrible thing to them. And again, that not really evil thing. In the Mario RPGs, a very common element is there will be a villain who is not Bowser. This isn't even a spoiler. It's, it's usually right up in front. And the not Bowser villain is usually actually evil. You know, the Shadow Queen or, or frickin' uh, Dementio is a perfect example of this, right? That's the actually evil villain. And it serves as good contrast to Bowser. Which brings me to this game. The pirate captain, the, the Dark Master, whatever you want to call him, he's messed up. He is actually evil. He literally shows up. And, of course, the game not only shows this in his actions, but in the terrain. We go to the palace... And I actually kind of hated this, if I'm being 100% honest. This whole game has been this lighthearted, you know, fun, exciting adventure game. I mean, yeah, there's the, okay, there's, there was the, the path to purgatory, which was absolutely horrifying. And also the hardest part of the entire game, by the way, in my opinion. Uh, memorizing that place and, and having the reflexes to go through there was a wonderfully enjoyable challenge. And I mean that sincerely. I loved going through that. But anyways, there's all of a sudden just gore. You know what I'm talking about, the Contra thing, right? And there's just all of a sudden organs on the walls and eyeballs dangling here and random teeth sticking out. And, you know, that thing, that aesthetic. Because what's happening is you go through the palace and he has converted it into that. He even says, aha, I changed it up for you. What do you think of the new renovations? You know, that's him. Risky Boots is not that. Risky Boots also has a bit of a brain and definitely understands things well enough to not not be one-dimensional, to put it bluntly. Like I said, this game actually fleshed out Risky Boots to the point where she has now is now someone I could perceive as a character. That's awesome. And I would love to see more of that. Now, I haven't actually played through uh, Seven Sirens, so I don't know if that actually does anything in a similar vein. But all I'm saying is, can we get that kind of characterization for Roddy? Because we already got some hints of that in this one, too. 
with her original self and the fact that you know they're both kind of bouncing back and forth between each other in terms of memories of who's awake and who's not at any given point in time and her brothers and how she's got this wonderful friend that she absolutely loves which is us and it's okay roddy we got you we got you friends i'd, I'd say bros but that's because i'm a guy <laughs> what she's our bro you know what i mean she's our garris at least as of this game and the next game. So can we can we get that? Can we get that kind of extra nuance and characterization for her? Or how about just a full Roddy Tops game? Or maybe a game where we save her and you know, she goes back to being her human self. I'm just saying. Unfortunately, the Shantae games tend to come out once in a blue moon. So And we just had one this year. So who knows if we'll have one anytime soon. One other thing I want to comment on. I know I talked about this in the half-genie hero thing. Risky, I talked about the whole dark magic skin color thing for Risky. This game actually made me think that even more so. Risky mentions that she herself is in some ways under threat of the curse. The curse that is being used to affect the other... Uh, the, the bats, I forget what they're called. The minions. The pirate minions. It makes me wonder if my theory was absolutely correct and the reason that she is the way she is is because of the fact that she has been infused with dark magic for so long simply for being the first mate of the actually evil pirate captain, right? Which makes me wonder what her overall goal is at this point. Is she trying to conquer the area? Loot it? I mean, if she wanted to loot it, she could probably manage that a few times over. I know, I know. It's it's the Saturday morning cartoon thing. They're not really after anything serious. Things only get serious once in a blue moon in a Saturday morning cartoon. And that's fine. That's the aesthetic. I get it. So I suppose I shouldn't be thinking too much about it. But it would be interesting if she kind of won and then was like, well, now what? And we've already had a Risky Boots game, kind of, but not as much as I would like. So that's another thing I wouldn't mind. A Risky Boots game, a Roddy Tops game. Can we have that? This was an awesome game to play through. I really enjoyed this. It scored very highly and for a good reason. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for enjoying. Or for enjoying. Thank you for being with me as I enjoy this. I hope that at least you guys have enjoyed. <sighs> Tomorrow I'm going to start Ghost of Tsushima. That should be interesting. I'll see you next time. Cool.